Peace be upon you. In last week's podcast, we listened to a talk from Professor John Lennox uh, of Oxford University. And uh, the name of the talk was entitled, Miracles is the Belief in the Supernatural Irrational. And I love listening to this talk and, you know, most of the talks from uh, Professor John Lennox. And there's so much information there that each time I listen to it, I'm able to extrapolate more. And I wanted to spend this podcast deconstructing some of his points and arguments and looking at these through the uh, verses of the Quran. And he starts off his talk by giving the definition of the word miracle according to the Oxford Dictionary. It reads, a marvelous event occurring within human experience, which cannot have been brought about by human power or by the operation of a natural agent, therefore must be described to a deity or some supernatural being. So the question that his talk addresses is that the universe is the universe all there is, or is there something beyond the universe, something that we can't see with our own eyes? And in chapter 2, the first three verses, it reads, In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, ALM, this scripture is infallible, a beacon for the righteous who believe in the unseen. And it's this expression, who believe in the unseen, that God is using as one of the intros to the Quran to describe what it means to be a righteous individual, to believe that there's more to this universe, more to this world than what we can see with our own eyes. And these new atheists, they consider the belief in God as an insult to intellect. And they think, and just, I mean, it's hard to kind of wrap your head about the absurdity of this statement coming from these individuals. Because these individuals, there was a time when they were nothing to be mentioned. And God created them. God brought them to life. God put them into this uh, world in a state where they were 100% dependent on the biology and physiology and the guardians that God provided for them only to grow to a state where they not only question God's authority, but God's existence. And they go on a crusade to basically spread these lies about God. I mean, Satan himself wouldn't go so far to say God doesn't exist. It just goes to show just how disgusting of an act this is. Then at some point, just like every single other person, these individuals are going to die. And God is going to resurrect them on the day of uh, resurrection to be held accountable to what they did, how they spent their, their life, and how did they worship God, which they've done the complete opposite. And in 75 verse 20 through 40, it reads, Indeed, you love this fleeting life while disregarding the hereafter. Some faces on that day will be happy, looking at their Lord. Other faces will be on that day miserable, expecting the worst. Indeed, when the soul reaches the throat and is ordered, let go, he knows it is the end. Each leg will lay motionless next to the other leg. To your Lord on that day is the summoning. For he observed neither the charity nor the contact purse a lot, but he disbelieved and turned away. With his family he acted arrogantly. You have deserved this. Indeed you have deserved this. Does the human being think that he will go to nothing? Was he not a drop of ejected semen? Then he created an embryo out of it. He made it into male or female. Is he then unable to revive the dead? Modern-day atheists like Dawkins, you know, they're on a crusade to convince people that the belief in God and science are incompatible. But the funny thing is there's so many prominent scientists, Nobel Prize winners, uh, who are strong believers in God. Newton spent more of his time writing about God than he did about science. And Newton was by far probably the greatest scientist uh, that we have, have in history. And the list of scientists who were strong believers in God is it's, it's endless. Uh, Galileo, Copernicus, Kepler, uh, Francis Bacon, Schrodinger, Leibniz. Um, so many individuals were such firm believers in God who had such a huge impact on science. Even Darwin himself was a believer in God. 
And the irony is that, you know, we see there is not a contrast between good science and believing in God. That for as long as, you know, human beings around, this is a fairly new uh, kind of belief that these two are incompatible. Um, you know, therefore, the contrast runs deeper than the belief in God. And it's not about, you know, uh, good science and bad science. It's between two worldviews, two understandings of nature, of ultimate reality. One worldview is that this universe or multiverse is all the exists. This is all there is. Therefore, explanation must be reductionist from the bottom up and not from the top down via causation. The other worldview is that there is a supernature beyond this universe. These two belief systems, naturalism versus theism, atheism sees religion as a faith and ironically doesn't see their own belief as a faith. But what is faith? Faith is the trust in some ideally evidence. You know, they, atheism usually make the uh, straw man argument. They, uh, they point towards a uh, blind faith, you know, people who fall for anything as opposed to evidence-based faith. And the irony is we both see evidence. The, the difference is what we interpret from that evidence. One believes us, uh, leads us to belief. The other one leads these people to disbelief. And it's not to say that, you know, both parties, atheist uh, uh, believers can't do good science. It's about how they view the meaning of this science. And that's a differentiating factor. And we know as believers, we see God's perfection every day. Uh, you know, every day that we, we study, we learn, we explore, uh, we live, we see God's perfection. And this gives us the trust in God. And in 67 verse 3 and 4 it reads, He created seven universes and layers. Do you see any imperfection in the creation by the most gracious? Keep looking. Do you see any flaw? Look again and again. Your eyes will come back stumped and conquered. Right? There is no imperfection in this universe. We've looked. We've explored. Everything that in this universe can basically be uh, correlated to a mathematical equation. How awesome is that? In 2764, it says, Who is the one who initiates the creation and repeats it? Who is the one who provides for you from the heaven and the earth? Is it another God with God? Say, show me your proof if you are truthful. And the religion of atheists is called scientism. And this is science with a capital S. And their motto of scientism is that science is the absolute truth. And their quote is, What science can't tell us, man cannot know. And the funny thing is, this statement can't be proven through science. And John Lennox, he makes a joke about this, and he calls it for what it is. It's incoherent logic, because the very logic that they use to define truth can't be used against the statement itself to be held true. And this shows that there are many things that science can't tell us. You know, what can science tell us about morality? What can science tell us about ethics? Or what, can, what is the scientific argument that we should respect the property of others, or that we should treat each other nicely? Science can't speak of these things. It's because it's beyond the realm of science, showing that there's truth beyond what we can understand through science. And this requires reason and logic. And Einstein put it best. He said, you can speak of the ethical foundations of science, but you cannot speak of the scientific foundation of ethics. Since there can't be a scientific argument to what is good or bad, then according to the just realm, if you're just looking at the realm of science, there is no good or bad. It's all relative. And this is called relativism, that there's no universal good or bad. This idea came from, you know, the view of some people when they observed nature. And they saw animals killing each other. They saw survival of the fittest. They saw that animals are driven only to reproduce and pass on their genes. So many material scientists of our times didn't see anything meaningful of the life of man any different than any other animal that's out there and 
because of this, you know, they pursued these ideas to their logical conclusions. And when they did, they, it led to such atrocities as eugenics, mass abortions, genocide. And this shows the limitations of science because science can't speak of these. Science can't speak of the meaning behind why are we here? Where did we come from? You know, how do we treat one another? What is good? What is bad? And this shows, again, that science cannot be the ultimate reality. Science cannot be the ultimate truth. While science can tell us about the properties of something and, uh, you know, the, kind of the, uh, the, the physics, the chemistry, the biology behind it, it can't tell us the meaning of it. And the modern-day atheists want us to think that the belief in God and the belief in science is an either-or decision. And John Lennox gives the, uh, the example of, uh, you know, atheists making him choose between the law of combustion and the uh, law of Henry Ford, as if these two are uh, basically contradict one another. Um, and he gives this example. He says, the existence of a mechanism that does something is not the argument against an agent that designed it. And I'm going to read that again. It says, the existence of a mechanism that does something is not an argument against an agent that designed it. Meaning that we can study the law of combustion and understand the mechanism of what makes a car work. But it's going to tell us nothing about the individual who came up with the concept of the car, who designed how to manufacture it, who designed it. And these two things are separate. And to try to put the law of combustion engine to understand the behavior of Henry Ford or who Henry Ford is, as if these are two uh, mutually uh, incompatible concepts, is absurd. You know, here's another example. If you have a book, right, you, you pick up a book, you know, science can tell you the size, the weight, the, um, uh, the text, right, the, the number of letters, the number of words, the number of pages, all this stuff, uh, the amount of data, how much can, you know, uh, transfer to. But you can't tell you anything about the meaning or the author of that book through the realm of science because the meaning, you need to go deeper. You need to go beyond the science. Science can tell us about the universe, the stars, the planets, biology cells, you know, all this stuff. But it can't tell us about the meaning of why we're here. Why is there a universe? Where do we go from here? Um, and these are questions that all humans ponder since we were children. And there's a quote from Sir John Templeton. It says, would it not be strange if a universe without purpose accidentally created humans who are so obsessed with purpose? Now, wouldn't that be the world's greatest irony that all this, all this that was created for us that spawned off human beings with such amount of uh, dr uh, drive towards finding their purpose was completely meaningless. And another irony is the fact that we live in the information age. And information, by its very nature, is immaterial. And today we live uh, in a place that we're, we're full of information. And, you know, it's being transmitted all over the place. And we're, uh, we're utilizing it, this podcast, for, for instance. And the thing is, information has no weight, has no properties in the, uh, the material sense. Um, and imagine, I'll give you this experiment, like this thought experiment. I have two USB sticks, you know, both with a gig of storage. In one drive, I filled with just absolute gibberish, you know, pages and pages of gibberish. And in the other one, I have the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, if we were to reduce the, these two uh, USB sticks just by the, uh, the physics, the chemistry, uh, the, the technology behind them, we wouldn't see any difference. But obviously, the one that has the Encyclopedia Britannica is going to have a deeper meaning, a deeper utility than what the science is going to be able to tell us. And you cannot explain the meaning from the bottom up. You have to explain it from the top down, from an agent. I had a discussion once with a uh, scientist from uh, NASA. 
and um, he was astrophysicist, and we were talking about just the perfection necessary for the planet Earth uh, to sustain life. We talked about the uh, the effects of the moon and how it causes the uh, axis to the Earth, and it causes the tides and the seasons. And we talked about the distance of the sun and the atmosphere, and how the uh, the, the iron core of the Earth it's basically uh, uh, defecting all the uh, the harmful rays that are uh, could be potentially bombarding uh, to the Earth and life. And, you know, we went through all this and ironically at the end, he's like, yeah, but it's all chance. And I was, I was taken back. I'm like, how do you possibly think it's chance? And his argument was, well, there's so many planets out there and, you know, obviously one of them is going to have these conditions and we just happen to live in this one planet that has these conditions. And, um, I was like, okay, you know, I didn't, (laughs) didn't fight him. But, uh, during the conversation, I, I asked him about, uh, Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. And, um, you know, it's got the faces of Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. And I said, oh, I think that, you know, that was actually occurred by wind and erosion. And he said, how could you think that? You know, it's got the, the founding fathers carved into a mountain. And my argument back to him was, well, there's so many mountains and so many planets. You know, obviously one of them is going to have the faces of these four characters, right? And it was at that point he kind of understood where I was going at. Is that when you apply meaning to something that otherwise would just be absolute meaningless, right? The difference between any mountainside versus the the one of Mount Rushmore. You realize that there's more to it when you basically have complexity uh, corresponding with uh, specificity, you know? Then you see that there's more to something than just chance. And when we look at technology, I mean, you look at a website, you look at uh, your iPhone, um, you know, your operating system, uh, or even this podcast, you realize that the uh, code that's necessary, you know, the technology that's necessary necessary to make this happen wasn't done haphazardly, right? There was intelligent programmers behind the scenes creating and developing this. You know, we would never equate this to just uh, mere chance and uh, mutation. But then surprisingly, when we looked at the human genome and we saw 3.1 billion base pairs written their own version of syntax and grammar that was so advanced that Bill Gates said it's the most uh, advanced operating system that we've ever seen. Um, why is it that we equate this to chance? That when someone says, for instance, that this there was a deliberate agent who created this, uh, that this was done with um, a, a mind, that this is looked as crazy. You know, back when they started the Human Genome Project, they made these grandiose predictions about all the ailments that they're going to cure, you know, every disease and personalized medicine and uh, global warming. I mean, you name it. They made all these grandiose uh, promises as far as what they were going to be able to achieve after completing the Human Genome Project. And what was funny was they followed up with some of the scientists 10 years later. And the response back is that we are more confused now than we were when we started. And it seems like each layer of the onion that we peel back, we see the level of complexity and the deliberate actions that must have been taken place for this kind of sophistication to happen. This is both in regards to the biology, to the cosmology, of everything we see. And again, this isn't to say that you know we can't, in essence, proceed with good science if someone is a believer or non-believer. But the difference is that it's about how we view what it is that we find. And I'll take it one step further, and it's becoming more clear That not only can good science be done by people who believe in God, but it can even be argued that the belief in God is a big reason why science progresses. Um, John Lennox, he gave the example of uh, Merton's thesis. It says, men became scientific because they expected law in nature. 
and they expect law because they expected a lawgiver. And in other words, it was the belief in God that was the motor that drove modern science. And we see this, we see this so much with the, uh, the examples of all the, 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 the scientists who live throughout history, who live today, who are strong believers in God. And Einstein made this quote again. He says, the only incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. I mean, the fact that we understand that we live in a comprehensible universe, that the laws of the universe aren't arbitrary, that they, fo- uh, they follow a very deliberate uh, equation, a pattern, something that can be discovered, something that can be understood, is a drive for us to basically pursue science. And additionally, science is increasingly making the case for God even greater. And there was an article uh, in the end of last year by Eric uh, Metaxas uh, called Science Increasingly Making the Case for God. And it was published in the uh, Wall Street Journal. And I believe it was one of the most cited, shared uh, articles in the Wall Street Journal's history. And he says that in 1966, Time Magazine had a cover story that the belief in God has been found to be obsolete due to science. And uh, around the same time, Carl Sagan made a postulate that there was only two factors that were needed to support life. One was the right kind of star, and the other was the right distance from the star. And they uh, extrapolated that since there was about an octillion, so that's one followed by 27 zero planets in the universe, that there should be about a septillion or one by 24 zero planets capable of supporting life. So naturally, with such great odds uh, that there were other planets that could support life, they thought that for sure, you know, if we go out and explore, we go out and listen, that we'll be able to uh, discover uh, additional life. So in the 60s, they created a program called the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or SETI. And um, they were looking for a pattern that they could basically uh, differentiate as intelligent as opposed to just random noise uh, that's out in the cosmos. And for decades, scientists listened to the vast radio telescope network for signals that resembled coded intelligence and were not merely random. But as the years passed, the silence from the rest of the universe was deafening. Congress defunded SETI in 1993, but the search continues with private funds. As of 2014, researchers have discovered nothing. So what happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were far more factors necessary for life than Sagan supposed. Today, there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for planet to support life, every single one of, the, uh, of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart without a massive planet like Jupiter nearby whose gravity will draw away asteroids a thousand times as many uh, would hit Earth's surface. The odds against life in a universe are simply astonishing. So something is a factor of not having a giant uh, planet like Jupiter within our solar system would be enough to basically obliterate any life being sustainable on planet Earth. As the factors continued to be discovered, the number of possible planets hit zero and kept going. In other words, the odds turned against the planet in the universe supporting life, including this one. Probability said that even we shouldn't be here. So when they ran the numbers, they did the calculations, they came to the conclusion, we shouldn't exist, right? The planet Earth shouldn't be here, life shouldn't be here. Yet here we are, not only existing, but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfect by accident? At what point is it fair to admit that science suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming 
that an intelligent created this, uh, these perfect conditions require far less faith in believing that a life-sustaining earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds to come into being? There's more. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces, gravity, the electromagnetic force, the strong and weak nuclear force, were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one value and the universe could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the nuclear strong force and the electromagnetic force been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest fraction, by even one part with 17 zeros behind it, then no stars uh, could have ever formed at all. Multiply that single parameter by all the necessary conditions, and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads 10 quintillion times in a row. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, and this was actually a, he did as a joke, said this, uh, that his atheism was greatly shaken as these developments. He later wrote that a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with the chemistry and biology. The number who calculate the number one calculates from the facts seemed me to uh, so overwhelming as to point this conclusion almost beyond question. Therefore, uh, sorry, phys uh, theoretical physicist Paul Davies has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. And uh, they quote Oxford uh, professor Dr. John Lennox has said, "The more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis uh, that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation." why we're here. The greatest miracle of all time without any close seconds is the universe, is a miracle of all miracles, one that in, uh, ineloquitably points with the combined brightness of every star to something or someone beyond itself. And again, this was uh, uh, Eric uh, Metaxas, and uh, it was uh, in regards to his book that recently got published called Miracles, What Are They, Why They Happen, and How They Can Change Your Life. Um, and the article can be found on the uh, Wall Street Journal. It was uh, published uh, December 25th, 2014. So all this, it's interesting that the Quran, you know, uh, doesn't question God's existence. And as mentioned before, Satan even knows of God's existence. You know, Satan believed in God. Satan saw God. Satan stood with God. Uh, but Satan didn't believe in God's attributes, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that every atom is in God's control. So my assumption is that it is a matter of time before all science converges the absolute necessity of the belief in God. And the next intellectual battle will be, who is God and what are his attributes? And I'm going to end with these verses from chapter 59, verse 21 through 24, entitled, Greatness of uh, the Quran. If we revealed this Quran to a mountain, you would see it trembling, crumbling out of reverence for God. We cite these examples for people that they may reflect. God. He is the one God. There is no other God beside Him, no of all secrets and declarations. He is the most gracious, most merciful. He is the one God. There is no other God beside Him, the King, the most sacred, the peace, the most faithful, the supreme, the almighty, the most powerful, most dignified. God be glorified, far above having partners. He is the one God, the creator, the initiator, the designer. To Him belong the most beautiful names. Glorifying Him is everything in the heavens and the earth. He is almighty, most wise. God willing, we're going to stop there. Got any questions or comments, hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com or uh, send us a note at TalkQuran on Twitter 
Until next time, peace and God bless.